Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Wild Ones podcast, episode 32. This is the show where we chat about bike stuff. I'm Jimmy, and this week I'm back with pro mechanic Nick and producer Emily. How are you, Jimmy? I'm good. Um, I have started the new year with a new routine. I know we're like three weeks in now, but I've been decorating the house so furiously I haven't had a chance to get into it. Do you want to know what my routine is now? Tell me. So firstly, I have a daylight alarm clock, which starts at 6 a.m. Daylight only starts at 9 over here, mate. Yeah, (laughs) exactly, which is why I have a daylight alarm clock. So I've been getting up just after 6, nice and relaxed. It's a really nice way to wake up. Go downstairs, have a coffee, got myself 10, 15 minutes to kind of wake up a bit. Then 6.30 until 7.30, I'm doing one hour of learning. So whatever that is, today I was learning what we were covering in this podcast. (laughs) Then from 7.30 until 8, I do food prep. So, So for example, making a nice pasta sauce for dinner later in the day or making lunch so that I've got lunch if we're in work or whatever. 8 o'clock until 10 past eight, 10 minutes of meditation, followed by stretching mobility and strength work slash conditioning. So like, you know, making my body actually work. Shower, 10 minutes allocated to shower, (laughs) then have breakfast and do a day's work. Doesn't finish there though. There's then also an evening routine. So finish work, five, half five, whatever it is. Six o'clock, approximately one hour of cardio, followed by a shower, of course then a couple of hours to do whatever I want. Then it reconvenes then at nine o'clock where I read for half an hour to an hour and then go to sleep. That just sounds horrible to me. I wake up and fight a toddler from four o'clock in the morning until (laughs) I finally get a passed off to somebody else and then come right to work. I've just remembered there's a bit I've missed. I think at seven o'clock where I have allocated time to play with the dog for about 20 minutes. Proper new year, new you. Isn't it? Yeah. How long will it last though? That's the question. Uh, my only New Year's resolution for last year was to learn how to wheelie properly, maybe do a bigger bunny hop. And well, obviously I've had to roll that on over to 2024 as well. So we start again. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's new me. I, th- I think my inspiration 
for actually having a routine is, and, and I'm not being rigid with it. Like if I, if there's a day I wake up and I'm really tired, I'll sleep more. Or if I'm too tired to do some exercise, I just won't bother. But I'm, I think I work best. I, firstly, I'm much more efficient in the morning than I am in an evening. So it's better to get up early and actually do some learning or whatever. Um, and also I think I just respond better to having a bit of focus. Oh yeah, there's, I think there's 20 minutes allocated each day to doing some like house cleaning or like doing some clothes cleaning. Cause otherwise I just don't do it. And then I get miserable because I'm like, oh, actually I should probably hoover the floor. Whereas if I actually have time allocated to do that, then it will be done and it'll always, I actually, I, I, I was walking around the house this morning, just kind of going like, oh, this is great. I'm really happy with this. I bet Emily's loving it. Oh. Like house is clean. <laughs> Everything is done. I know he's making pasta sauces <laughs> done, for lunch. Yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I, I hate uh, people telling me what to do, including myself. If I create a routine, I then feel very trapped by the routine. Same. I can't do it. It's not, not for me at all. No. I used to think I had no free time and I was really tired and busy. And then I got a kid, and then I realized yeah. that how not tired, not busy I was. <laughs> yeah. We are very privileged in that sense of we don't know what tired is. So guys, I think we might have upset GCN. Oh no. Did you see that they finally addressed the hate that they were getting for that motorbike video? Yes. If you missed it, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, we talked about how a lot of GCN's viewers seemed angry over a video where they compared bicycle and motorbike prices. The episode of the Wild Ones podcast is now one of our most listened to episodes to date. And the thumbnail for that video featured a big photo of Alex from GCN. So I think they probably saw it because on a recent GCN tech show, they addressed the hate. They acknowledged their angry viewers and admitted they probably didn't phrase stuff right. They then went back and discussed the topic of bike prices again, and this time they were much more vocal about them being too high. Nick, do you feel bad for calling them out? No, not really. <laughs> the videos are produced, so surely you sit down before and have a meeting about what you're going to say. So think about it. Somebody must be stressed. And I mean, surely they employ quite a lot of people. It's not just a, a two-man show. I think they acknowledge the criticism really well. I think it's good that they're not afraid to actually go, maybe we should do things differently. And I would like to hope or uh, think that maybe we have done them a favor and they start to understand better what is important in cycling and it isn't being a pro cyclist. It's yeah. I mean, enjoying I agree with you. It's, it's, I don't blame them for it. It's one of those things where we'll get things wrong because you live your life the way you live. Or, I mean, for instance, I haven't paid for a bike in years and years. The only reason I know about the price is because I sell bikes to people where if you're an ex-professional cyclist, you're not an expert on that topic because... Well, you've not paid for it, so you don't know what those things When's the last cost. time they actually had to consider the price of a bike? Yeah. GCN getting on the side of bikes are too expensive is a really positive thing for consumers because they are, they are massive. They have such big influence, whether they realise it or not, and I'm sure they do realise it, they have such big influence with brands and the, the industry as a whole. So them kind of doubling down and starting to realise consumers discontent with the price of bikes might yeah. actually assert some real change, mightn't it? The prices are just going up because the brands realize they're getting away with it. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully if somebody like them comes along and also says, whoa, slow yourselves down over here, then. I, I love the idea that um, more people with influence, like I, 
like I see GCN as an ally rather than a competitor. Yeah. And I would love it if they had, if they, if you know, if there was more big influential spaces that were campaigning essentially for similar things, like for example, better value, then there's much more influence, you know. Whereas historically, you've got a lot of cycling press journalism which is so dependent on money from the brands that they're always a bit tippy-toey about what they do and what they say. Whereas I want more GCN being confident in kind of a narrative of the viewers, you know, at the end of the day. They actually made that point as well. They sort of said, because um, one of the criticisms that's leveled at them quite a lot is that they have big sponsors and they're always... Um, sort of showcasing very new and high-end bikes. And the point they made was that ultimately they're more interested in getting larger viewership. And I don't, whether that's true or not, I'm sure, it, you know, if they say it is true, I'm sure it's true. Um, ultimately, that is exactly where they need to be positioned. And that's kind of what we've always tried to do as well. Viewers first and then advertisers come. But if you lose your viewers, you don't get the yeah. advertiser money either. So ultimately, I think it's, I think they handled the criticism really well. I agree, Jimmy. And also now that they see how angry their viewers are, hopefully there will be a new train of thought. But that's what I said with the, about the magazines as well. It's reputation. And if you guys and then them and a few others follow and do the same thing, uh, the sponsors won't have anywhere else to go. Yeah. So they'll still have to sponsor the, the channels. And they the, will. But the customer who's the actual listeners and the viewers are going to get value for money. Yep. Which is what in the end should happen. Elsewhere in the news, could bikes soon use AI to think for themselves? Well, maybe. So Shimano has filed a patent for a device which apparently uses AI to control a dropper seat post, front suspension and saddle tilt. The invention is designed to learn a rider's preferences in different situations it would then be able to automatically adjust the seat post, suspension, and saddle by itself mid-ride. The patent drawings also show a small screen attached to the handlebars. This screen would allow the riders to give feedback on the changes via thumbs-up and thumbs-down buttons. This feedback would then help the device learn and make better decisions. So... We were talking about this beforehand and you started listing numerous products that have automatic controls already. Yeah, so SRAM flight attendant for your suspension, uh, Shimano auto shift uh, for changing gears automatically on some of the e-bikes. You've got Magiro Elect, which I think was in 2014. Uh, and then I think... Is that suspension? Suspension as well, yeah. yeah. Um, Fox does one as well. I can't remember what it's called. Um, and then you've got Exposure, React Light where it essentially gets brighter or dimmer to save the battery, get, give you the most depending on what your, the road surface is like. I'm assuming the only difference with this one is that it's AI controlled and then learns. But then I'm conflicted about that because you want it to learn, surely? I mean, I would just think somebody at one of these companies know more than me. So they would just set it up to work right. I, I tried to do a bit of digging on the painting. It's obviously... Uh, we're not patent specialists and there's always going to be limited amounts of information that we can consume to understand it. It seems that the patent is is in relation to a control module or a thinking module that controls a telescopic tube, which is presumably the dropper post and the suspension. Um, and it's 
I guess the AI or the machine learning part of that that they're they're trying to be, or they're trying to uh, make as a unique product. Because uh, obviously, like you said, they've already got auto shift, so there's something which automatically changes gears yes. on the e-bike stuff. Um, I think it's I, th- I think it's interesting that they're looking at that as a thing. Um, I guess looking at the idea of um, wh- again when we were talking earlier, I, I, the example I used was like cross-country mountain bike mountain biking. Someone like Pidcock or whoever else are absolute experts, and therefore know the best times to adjust the suspension and adjust this and adjust that. Although more likely they're probably just leaving everything as is. So the, I guess the idea that they're thinking of is that a computer can help make those decisions on behalf of the person, although you're giving it feedback. So it's actually around your preferences. It, it, that's it, yeah. That's what I mean. Like the question is, is it a gimmick? Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's some stuff's good. You mean like I, I'm really bad for, on mountain biking, like having my suspension locked out when I'm riding up the trails and then just when I get to the top, forgetting to open it up again. And then halfway down the trail, I'm trying to reach off with my hand to kind of unlock it again. I'm the opposite. So I did a bit of research on this and the the, the stuff that I read suggested that an unlocked suspension, you don't lose any power yes, from having your suspension right. unlocked. So I just have it unlocked all of the time whenever I've done mountain biking. I've heard that as well recently and I do kind of, yeah, understand. So, but it's more of that, that's a perception. That's where I'm worried with AI. Because if you then say, it might be doing really good stuff for you. And then you click, no, no, you don't like it. Or you like certain things. And then all of a sudden it's, you might as well be setting it to work worse. I don't, uh, yeah, it's, it's like high pressure sensors. It's nice to have, but it's not really, I don't know. Uh, but who, who's it going to be for? That's what I don't quite understand. I don't like I can't imagine I would want to go, let's just say mountain biking or even gravel riding, extreme gravel riding, let's call it, where I'm going to have a dropper post and suspension. I I can't really think of a scenario where I would want the bike to make a decision for me on the tilt of the saddle and things like that. The the tilt I don't get at all. I mean, surely that just changes your bike fit. Well, I, I w- yeah, the I guess it, I, I'm assuming it's suggesting that if you're climbing up a really steep climb it'll change the angle or something or other the photo shows the gravel bike side of it is worrying i mean i I could understand with the mountain bike where your saddle's tilted backwards for how you for descending but i mean that was on the ground yeah i don't know um it'll be interesting to see what they do with it but then also there's a lot of patents going all the time it's what's what makes it to production and what's actually gonna work I mean, I know in cars you get, Audi did it years ago with the electromagnetic suspension where it stiffens up around the corners and things like that. So if they do it right, um, like the, the SRAM flight attendant, I think, you I mean, could be worthwhile for somebody that's not got a team dialing everything and knowing what they're doing. It just automatically adjusts as you ride. So it gets stiffer. I mean, you can optimize it for, for pedaling. You can optimize it for descending. To try and put an example into where this technology might be used would be if I'm riding my bike on the flat on a very luscious, lovely gravel path, which is not very bumpy, the suspension or the seat post would just be rigid. Seat post fully extended, suspension firm, so that I'm not bouncing around all over the place. But if the bike detects that then I throw it into a downhill trail, it knows to loosen off the suspension and maybe drop the drop a postal. But even with that AI, I think the other systems 
like the fox and Magura and the Shram already does that. Yeah. Because it just essentially it can monitor. I mean, it's the same as, for instance, uh, I, the Magu- uh, sorry, the exposure light. That's just got a sensor in that, like accelerometer, so it realizes whether you're climbing or descending and how rough the terrain is. And based off that, it makes the light either brighter or dimmer. Right. Um, there's clever stuff out there. It's just I, I'd be more interested in gearing and to see for people that are training or racing. It's not me, but Francis and James and all of them lot. Um, where similar to turbo trainers, but you've got erg mode. So let's say you have to ride at a set amount of watts where you're your gearing is controlled or cadence and things like that um, to kind of, so not for performance, but. But you'd yeah. still have to have something like the, um, like a planetary gear or what, what's the classified wheel, something yeah. which can change into load. Cause otherwise you might be, you know, pushing 350 Watts or doing a sprint mm-hmm. and all of a sudden the gear changes. If it's a traditional front Mac rear Mac, mm-hmm. You, you might be out of the saddle doing a full effort sprint and all of a sudden it decides to change gear, which is not going to be a good okay. idea. But I, I don't think you need AI for that. You, you would just need, I mean, computers could do that already. Your Garmin knows whether you're standing or seated. If you've got power meets, the power pedals, the, the rallies. So there, there's parameters you can set without the AI thing. I think the extra bit that it gives you is that it's going to learn from what you're doing. But then it's, yeah, I, I, just, I don't know how... There's a learnt in terms of how does it make it better? Surely it'll know from day one, these big companies will be able to set it up to be optimum. Somebody like Pitcock could probably outperform it and then it could learn for him. But for me, it's never going to, it's going to tell me I'm wrong. Well, no, because it would learn from you. Yeah, <laughs> what not to do. <laughs> so, so for me, I think generally AI is being used as a marketing gimmick. Um, I had a conversation. I don't think, I can't remember if I've, I think I've told you about this, but I don't think we've ever discussed it on a podcast. So a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine, um, works for a very, very large tech company. And one of his specializations is uh, AI and all of the genius that that stuff does. And I had a conversation with him about AI. And I was like, you know, is it something we need to be concerned about? Or, you know, what even is it? Like, like what's what's the big deal? And he basically said, basically everything that we know about AI as we normal people consumers isn't AI, it is machine learning, which is a completely different thing. It's not actually artificial intelligence. It's just Mm. an algorithm, a very complex set of algorithms where it learns a preference and then applies that preference, which is not AI. Um, And as a result of that, I just feel like it is just the new marketing buzzword. It's like, oh, it can. Yeah. It's an AI this and it's an AI that. It's it's not. It's just a very complex algorithm. Yeah. Did you see UAE Team Emirates kit supplier was left a little embarrassed this week? Mm. So the team has revealed its new 2024 kit and clothing sponsor PSI have been busy selling replicates, but they accidentally printed the logos upside down on the legs of the bib shorts and sent them out to customers without realizing. So they had to recall the whole bunch. I don't think it's too bad. I mean, for my bike rides, most of the lads are upside down most of the time, so <laughs> it wouldn't be an issue. Probably, <laughs> probably work better. As someone which has historically owned a kit manufacturing company, I can definitely appreciate that errors and mistakes do happen. Um, we have there has definitely been times in the past where kit has arrived, things that we've ordered have arrived, and they've just been wrong. 
but that is always why we had very strict in-house quality control in addition to factory quality control as well we would still do loads of stuff even when it arrived here so presumably if you know like the fact that this has happened it does happen the issue i guess is that someone hasn't checked it before it's left the building or they did and they thought it was good marketing uh, just well perhaps. <laughs> good bit of pr yeah true <laughs> although it isn't perhaps for the clothing brand yeah i mean it's an easy mistake to happen with i remember when we still owned Atticus pouring over um, kit designs before they go to print. And then obviously once you signed it off, someone then on the other side is putting that onto a printer and printing it out. So I was at Restrap last week sewing bags together and it's stressful sewing things. So I mean, like, tell us what you found out about Restrap. Anything interesting? Uh, just, it's quite impressive. The setup, how they do everything in house. And it's all in Yorkshire. Is that right? Yeah. In Leeds. Right. In the city center. Yeah. Um, very, very impressive how it's all started as some kid in his basement making, well, not in his basement, his back room, yep. making pedal straps. And then his mom helping out with some stuff. And now it's a massive company that makes all these things in the house. And it's quite good because they, they, they'll have meetings where they can decide a new product and then just print out some fabric and make something, test it out. It's yeah, good. it's good that yeah. we've actually got British manufacturing as well because yeah. that is... Difficult. Is it Endura that also do make stuff in Scotland? And I think they're probably one of the only fabric-based manufacturing yeah. things that exist in the UK. We used to have so much manufacturing in terms yeah. of, but it's just, it's almost two generations above. And as it's slowly being wiped out, there's the skill isn't there, I don't think. It's a shame. Now on to our big question. In your opinion, which cycling items can you get away with buying cheap and which should you invest more money in? We're going to break this down into a couple of categories. Firstly, is cycling clothing, and we are going to start with jerseys. Go cheap. Go cheap. Uh, a t-shirt. Uh, this year, I'm not wearing cycling jerseys anymore because it's nice. I understand for somebody who's competitive, it's more aero and you're slightly faster, but I just like riding in t-shirts. Cargo pants have changed everything for me. There is an argument for uh, a technical t-shirt because, in theory, it, will, it is less likely to smell if you sweat in it a lot over a long period of time. Um, but I commuted for a long time just wearing normal T-shirts, and I like wearing normal T-shirts. I even used to ride just out on gravel stuff with just normal T-shirts. Um, you definitely don't need to spend lots of money on jerseys. Technically, you do not even need one. However, if you want one, again, don't waste loads of money on it. Um, there's a lot of brands out there that are selling stuff that is not better quality for a lot of money, if you are, if you want a really, really good quality jersey, there is stuff that you can get for 50, 60, 70 quid for a jersey that is comparable in every respect to stuff that is closer to 200 pounds, in my opinion. Yeah, there is. But I guess it's like normal clothing, isn't it? You, you're almost paying for designer for a, for a label at some point. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you'll exactly. obviously know a lot more than me, but you're a full, a normal cycling jersey with pockets and everything takes a lot more work to stitch together than a t-shirt yes so yeah. essentially like you, you guys did the the tech t-shirts and out of all the Atticus t uh tops that i own that was my favorite top yeah i mean i wore that probably most of the time i had to switch it out just because i didn't ride the same top every single day but it's, <laughs> yeah it was just i like it um that's for me this year yeah you're right there's there's a lot more construction cost in and actually the, you, a lot more construction cost in stretchy fabrics because you need specific type of machines and machinists who 
they're just they're just harder fabrics yeah. to work with. So sometimes you're paying for that in terms of uplift. So I would not buy a cycling jersey if it was entry level, hundred percent polyester with zero stretch in it. Yeah, I would wear a t-shirt instead of wear if if it was you have to wear this jersey. I would just wear a, a bog standard t-shirt instead. If I'm going to wear a, a cycling jersey, at the very least, it is going to be a good quality fabric. Yeah, you'd find in, in a normal cotton t-shirt, bugs out of cotton, they'll have natural stretch anyway. But what you usually find is uh, they wear out and they get hoary quite quickly. Mm. But uh, like I said, I, I wouldn't spend money in, on a cycling jersey. I'd buy, if I, if I was new, day one, don't have anything, I would save my money, wear a t-shirt, and I'd spend the money that I'm saving on buying slightly better bib shorts. So next on the list is shorts slash bib tights. Um, so good link there. Thank you very much. <laughs> Back in our Atticus days, we when we used to occasionally get emails from uh, people that are new to cycling. And one of the questions they would ask quite a lot is, what is what do I need? What's the minimum amount of stuff I need? And we would always tell them the minimum that we recommend is a good set of bib shorts. Um, you don't need a jersey, you don't need the other stuff, but a minimum, sh a, a good pair of shorts, in our opinion, is the minimum. And it is definitely, a, for me personally, I would rather not wear shorts, bib shorts at all and wear jean shorts than wear a pair of shorts that doesn't work for me. There is an element with shorts, there is an, an element of personal preference. Mm. So some people will just not get on with certain pads. I'm very fortunate to know specifically which pads across every single proper known pad manufacturer in the world, which ones of them work for me. So I would be able to look at a pair of bib shorts by any manufacturer and know just by looking at it whether I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on with it or not. Yeah. I mean, the bib shorts are different to jerseys. It's not a thing of performance. It's a thing of not getting chafed to pieces and being comfortable on the bike. If you can't sit down in your saddle... Not going to enjoy riding a bike. When we're talking good, so you're both going with investing, but you're yeah. not necessarily saying buy the most expensive oh, no. pair. Oh, God, no. Good and most expensive aren't necessarily that, unanimous, are they? Syn that, synonymous. That's where the industry's gone really wild at the moment, I think, is because when I was starting cycling in the late 90s and early 2000s, ASOS was the, the gold standard and they were really expensive bib shorts. Where now, almost everybody's bib shorts cost the same if not more than ASOS. And it's, well, they still make really good bib shorts. How much uh, is an ASOS short these days? Uh, good, Amile is £125 full retail before any discounts. £125? £125. Good price. And they are, I, don't know, I don't know if they're good. They probably are for some people. They are excellent. I mean, in terms of, I've never had anybody ride one that didn't like it. Um, but obviously, I don't even think you need to spend that much. But it's, yeah. But then there's companies spending 400 quid for a pair of bib shorts and you think... That's mad. Mad. That any, yeah. What I can tell you, and is probably something that shocks most people, is that qu quite often the manufacturing of shorts is in line with jerseys. So there isn't that. So, so, so you'll you'll find, for well, Rafa's a good example. There's a point where their jersey. This is a while ago, mind. They used to sell a jersey for about 120 quid, and the matching shorts are about 190 quid. But the chances are the manufacturing of those shorts cost about the same as that jersey. Yeah, you um, make a higher profit margin on, on shorts. Yes, yeah, so there's just a, a, a categorically a higher margin on them. But that, that, that's mental as well if you think about generally as black shorts where jerseys have to do loads of colours, there's more size runs, there's more different. And it's like 
just stock bib shorts. I mean, I don't know. You probably know it's easier to stock bib shorts and stock jerseys because you can go safe and do two colors of bib shorts, but you can't do two colors of jerseys and be like an actual brand. It's only recently that people started doing more colored bib shorts anyway. Mm. Mm-hmm. But you sell them less frequently because of that as well. Most people have, a, say, for example, a set of shorts or two sets of shorts and multiple jerseys yeah. because of fashion, I guess. You know, you want to wear something different. So although you make a higher profit from your shorts, you're selling, in a lot of cases, less units than you would. So Should we move on to the next one? Yeah. yeah. Rain jackets. I just don't think any of them work properly. This is something I've been looking into recently because I've been... Wanting, a, since I've moved to England and being cold and wet all the time, decide I'm going to get a proper rain jacket. And I'm busy riding one that costs £450. And it works amazingly, but it's just not worth the money. And I know if I was to go do gravel with it, it'll just tear on the first ride. Um, I think people make the mistakes of trying to get rain jackets that are really tight fitting, that's made for professional athletes in racing, so it's more aero. I think if you go back to more the mountain biking style, where it's a bit more baggy, you don't have to, I don't know, I might be wrong, but I, I don't think you have to worry about the um, breathability as much because the air can flow in from other spaces but still keep you dry. Uh, my All my mountain bike rain jackets work better than my like ones that cost four times as much being a road. Mm. Yeah. So my opinion is a rain jacket is the space where you invest. You cannot get a good rain jacket that isn't very expensive. It doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you mean, like I say, you don't need it as often and you can keep it for much longer. So, yes, do invest. Don't buy something. Because if you buy something cheap and it just, you get wet, then. Well, yeah, it won't work. It won't but be a rain jacket. I do think be smart on how you spend your money. Don't be just, if you're not going to be racing, don't focus on buying one that is mega tight fitting. Rather get something that's going to work slightly better um, in terms of keeping you dry. Uh, but it's maybe a bit more baggy. But that's, I think for me, that's part of the problem is. A lot. So if you are under, so there's there's a water rating system for fabrics. If it's under 20,000 millimeters per hydro head, or H, hydro head uh, is is the, the method that they use. They basically put it under pressure and see how much it can take. Yeah. Uh, anything under 20,000 millimeters is not really going to be a rain jacket. Um, the majority of rain jackets in the cycling space are 10,000 which is never going to keep you dry. Then what they do is that then they put DWR coatings, which is basically an outside chemical coating, which beads, and their marketeers have convinced people that beading means that it's better at keeping water out. It isn't. It's just an outside coating that will last a couple of washes and then wear off. You have to retreat, don't you? Yeah, and you have to retreat it, and it will. It never really treats that well. It's never um, the same as when you first get it. Beading does help the fabric work but it isn't the thing that is waterproof or not waterproof. It kind of depends what kind of riding you're doing. If you're if you're looking at the at the weather and it says, you know, 40% chance of rain at, for an hour of your four-hour ride, for example, you know there's a slight chance you might get caught in a shower. And if you get caught in a shower, a 10,000 Hydrahead jacket, for showerproof, it's going to do you. You put it on, you sort of get to a cafe or you get home or you whatever – but if you happen to be out and it's absolutely peeing it down from start to finish, I mean, it's going to be a crap. You're going to end up wet ultimately. You're going to, but that's the same as like your legs are going to end up wet. Everything's going to end up wet. But if, if I'm getting caught in a shower, I'm not even going to bother with a jacket. I'm just going to let myself get wet because otherwise I, I just, 
It, it, I just don't see the point. But you, you'll know better than me on this one. But surely the problem isn't getting a 20,000. Getting that fabric's not hard. Getting that fabric to be that waterproof and stretchable. Yes, it, it, That's 100%. hard. And the breathability. Meaning what I'm getting at is I get if you wanted a tight fitting, fitting like a normal cycling jersey, it's incredibly hard. But if you are happy to make it, I've got a sportful one, which is loose fitting with a hood and everything. Um, it doesn't stretch at all, but surely it's much easier to make something like that. Yeah. It's more waterproof. You com you're completely right in the sense that if you have a look at outdoor equipment, if you go to any sort of outdoor yeah. warehouse, you will find a lot of really, really good, fully waterproof fabrics and you can get access to them. Usually they're insanely expensive and you have to buy them by the massive roll. But if you're a big clothing company, you would be able to do that. But you're completely right in terms of what a person, a person's stance when they're s standing up versus when they're leaning forward on a bike, you're stretching in a completely different way. So you either have to have stretch in your fabric or you have to make it really baggy, which doesn't market very well. It doesn't sell very well because everyone thinks they need really tight. Um, and yeah, the other problem is breathability. The more you close up to water, the more you're going to close up to air coming out as well. I mean, my, my, my 450 quid jacket falls down to like the size of half a sandwich. Yeah. I'll fit into my pocket, which is perfect for, does everything. It's over 20,000. Definitely something to look for in a jacket is taped seams because yeah. your fabric can be as good as possible, but ultimately your seams, there is a hole, there's basically a hole where every single part of the seam is. So if the jacket has taping inside it, it basically patches up those holes. So it's going to be a better product. We're actually quite passionate about rain jackets because we spent six years <laughs> developing a rain jacket model. And we never produced it, did we? absolutely beautiful. I love that model so much. I mean, yeah, we've, we've got so many samples of it and we were never, ever, ever happy with it to release it. Well, the main issue was that we, we, went, we used the same fabric as outdoor shops were using, but again, it was insanely expensive and you had to buy it by massive rolls and ship it in from Japan. And yeah. it, was, it was very, very, it wasn't very viable for a small business, was it? And we just didn't want to produce one that was rubbish and jimmy never rode in the rain so <laughs> didn't get a chance to test it it was going to be something like 70 grand just for the fabric oh uh, yeah it's a lot <laughs> other accessories like arm and leg warmers and gloves and i am do you know what? it's it's uh, so arm warmers leg warmers buy the cheapest ones possible because yeah. you're not going to wear them that much and you just want to keep yourself a bit warm gloves for me especially highlighted by what you showed me earlier it, it's the same sort of thing as the rain jacket the outside of cycling world have better stuff than the cycling world. So I would now, for a rain jacket, probably not wear a cycling one. I would probably wear a running jacket and gloves. So gloves. Ski gloves, for example. No, but it's not even that. Gloves is a difficult one because from a bike shop's perspective, we would always tell people you can't get a good form-fitting waterproof glove and warm weather glove because the waterproof ones are usually neoprene and they're only warm when they're wet if they if it's dry if it doesn't rain and you're wearing them your hands are going to be cold um, and then really warm gloves tend to if they get wet your hands are cold again so it's a bit of a you need two sets of gloves i've recently bought a set of do you want, do you actually want to tell everyone this or you want to keep it yeah. secret for a bit I mean, like, no, don't gatekeep it. Tell everyone. I know how you like keeping hold of this I've info. I've been testing it. Minus four this morning. It's unreal. I bought a set of cold storage waterproof gloves off Amazon. Cost 13 quid. Fully waterproof. Fleece lined inside. My fingers were nice and warm today. And it's not a thing of waterproof to 
what we were talking before, it's just 100% waterproof. Like just fully sealed. Fully sealed. Stick yeah. it into the into a swimming pool and take it out. Your hands are still dry. Obviously, if you stick it in too deep, it'll come on the other side. But it's 13 pounds on Amazon. You showed me them earlier, and I'm almost certainly going to get some. And the mega grippy as well. Mm. You'll never slide off. You don't even need handlebar tape with them. <laughs> um, yeah, so. I've spent so much money on gloves over the years, and I've got rubbish circulation. My, my hands always end up cold. I've never found a solution that works for me apart from heated little handy things, which are rubbish for the environment and I hate using them. So I just let my hands get cold these days. But those, th- those gloves you've got, I'm, I'm going to give it a go. So. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The next one is actually somewhere where I would be comfortable spending more money on uh, is a multi-tool for your bike. And my argument for this is I would, I would, well, I'm comfortable spending, you know, like 30, 40, 30, 40 quid on a multi-tool rather than like five or six quid. And the main reason for that is it sits in a bag most of the time. I want it to be of uh, stainless steel or coated in a way that it's not just going to rust up because inevitably it's going to be sitting in a damp dingy bag for most of the time and when i need it out on a ride somewhere i want to pull it out and it actually works rather than being all rusty. 100 buy good quality for that example uh topeak topeak whatever me. nick sold me last time topeak tube 18 because it's got a that's if you've got tubeless type once again with this you have to look at what your bike needs don't just buy because something like a company like topeak will do loads of different multi-tools and not all of them are going to work for everybody. The one we use, the Tubi 18, is really good if you're running tubeless because yeah. it's got a plug tool. Um, it's got a little knife to cut off the extra bits. Um, it's got T25s. Obviously, I can go in and in. But first, look at what you need in your bike. Speak to speak to your local bike shop. Ask them what. Last one in the section of tools is tire levers. Pedro's. So I think... Uh, you don't need really, really expensive ones because then you probably end up buying metal ones, which I would definitely never, ever, ever use. You don't want to go so cheap that they just snap. There's kind of like, you, but you can get really good tire levers for like a couple of quid. There's a com- Pedro's started doing the tire levers, a slightly fatter tire lever that's very popular. And then I think a lot of companies have copied them now. But if you look at Pedro's tire levers, that's the gold standard, I would say. Um, next, we're going to look at some accessories and we're going to rattle through them because we've been really dwelling on this one. Can I do the first one? Bike lights. Buy good bike lights. Invest. Invest. 100% invest. Uh, just because it's, it's batteries, things are going to landfill if you just waste. You can buy 
a cheap light, it lasts a year, and then the battery doesn't work well anymore, and it's just not worth it. So you want to see where you want to go. Well, exa yeah, exactly. It needs to be good enough quality that it actually works well. I'm going to plug them here, but my exposure lights, I've got Graham that rides <laughs> from these, had the same lights for 11 years now, and they yeah. still work. And at some point, the battery is going to not work that well. You can send it back to them, and they'll recondition it for you. Um, it costs pennies. They are expensive, but they're good, aren't but they? But the recondition, the, yeah. uh, if you take over how long it lasts, yeah. it's its unreal. I was talking to Chris Hall about exposure lights literally a few days ago. So we met the guys that uh, are exposure. There's only, they're like super small business um, at Core Bike Show. And we tried to work it out. It was probably 2015. And at that time, me and Chris both bought exposure lights i think we actually had the same ones the diablo front one and then uh, whatever the the little red rear one is and both of us still have those lights and are using those lights to this day he has sent his front light back once where they did a battery did they replace it or yeah, recondition they it oh they recondition the salt. whatever whatever yeah. they do do to it they fixed his i could probably do with getting my front light done but they all still work the only issue is i keep losing my charger or misplacing my charger. It's definitely somewhere in the house. Um, helmets. No. Um, no what? What does that mean? Helmets is a difficult one. Cheap um, or invest? Cheap helmets pass the same safety standards, so it's going to be okay. If you are fashion conscious and you're not going to wear the helmet because it's the cheap one, then obviously, as long as you're wearing that's, the helmet... That's not what we're considering here. Well... No, it is, because there's a big study people. about some people... Like more if, if you're buying your kid or somebody else a helmet in your family and they don't like the helmet, they're less likely to wear it. Mm. So essentially, as long as you're happy to wear the helmet, um, they all pass and it's not been damaged. They pass safety standards, so they are still safe. Um, I like nice helmets, so I spend on nice helmets, but you don't. I think the yeah. only, I, yeah, I agree in that because of minimum safety standards, uh, which are pretty high, yeah. Um, or they definitely are in this country. Uh, you don't need to spend loads of money on a helmet for it to be safer. Uh, the only space where you would potentially look at investing in a, a more expensive helmet or potentially a very expensive helmet is if performance slash time trialing is your thing. They're going to cost there, a lot there, more There's money. another one though. Back home in South Africa in summer it gets warm. I mean, over 30 degrees. And we, I used to always back then pick my helmets based on how ventilated they were. So essentially, you don't have to spend more because there's less material, but you need something that can still keep your head cold. So you're not cooking inside the helmet while riding. So I think that's the only thing where I would take into consideration as well. Well, cheap helmets have loads of ventilation. Well. So yeah, but some of them just not as well ventilated as others. I'm not saying you have to buy expensive, but consider that when buying the helmet and just buy the first one you see. Saddles and shoes. Uh, that's I, I don't feel like we can answer that. You definitely don't need to spend the most expensive amount of money, but ultimately saddles and shoes are such a personal thing that you should be buying the one that is appropriate for you, uh, which is a really hard thing to say because if you're anything like me and Emily and probably everyone else I know, you've had to have tried a bazillion pairs of shoes and a bazillion saddles to actually work out which ones are right for you. It's the same thing with the paper shorts, isn't it? It's just very buy, personal. Buy, buy the right saddle for you, but at the same time, the major companies, Celeste Marco, Celetalia, Physique and all of them will do different levels of the same shaped saddle. Yeah. So just because if if the set saddle works for you, it doesn't mean you have to buy the 3D printed carbon rail version. You version. can just buy the cheaper railed 
normal one and it's it's going to work you don't have to buy if you if you've got the money and you want to do it by all means but uh, i think the main thing is i feel like we've talked about this before as well try as many different ones as you can if you've yeah. got mates try and swap them or use something even if it's an old version or whatever so you can decide what profile works for you whether you like a cutout etc or go to your bike shop yeah you tried the one. I did, yeah. Year. You let me try one, and you got a sale out of it, didn't you? No, you did. He, you didn't, you didn't like, like the, the one first one. You. You, oh, I you didn't like the second first one. one yeah, did yeah. I? Yeah, I like the second one. Yeah. With this, and the second one was a version of the one you already knew you liked. But it's good. But then you know. <laughs> but, but it's good to know because I mean, I rode the same shaped saddle for years and years, and I thought I was always fine. And then mm-hmm. I only swapped when I test rode a different bike. The, with the, the saddle on. That is exactly yeah. what happened to me on numerous occasions. Is I was like, oh, my saddle's fine. I don't need to do anything else. And then for whatever reason, you end up trying another one. You're like, oh, actually, that's better than yeah, what is. I thought. I've, I've now got a new standard of what's nice. 20, 20 years of riding the same saddles, thinking they're perfect. I've never had any issues. And now I could never go back to them. Um, bar tape. Uh, you cork don't- tape. Cork tape is the best tape. It doesn't last as long, but you don't need to spend loads of money. I hate cork tape. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's just the the point you is don't need to spend the money. You don't need to buy no. expensive tape. Tape is just tape. Um, inner tubes. I'm kind of the same thing. You definitely don't need super expensive. But, tubes. but don't buy too cheap. Uh, we had an issue with the shop where when I first opened, there was inner tubes that cost ninety nine pence an inner tube. Yeah. Um, and out of the five hundred we ordered, about two hundred split within the first month. Ooh. That was a massive issue for us. Just so thin. They just yeah, split. they're just not very well made. Um, and then it's got to do with the butyl content in the inner tube. So I'm not saying buy expensive 30 quid silly tubes, but just don't it's, buy the cheapest. It's like buy, the four or five quid mark, isn't it? Or yeah, maybe that's slight, more like yeah, yeah. seven, eight quid. If they've now. got a cheap yeah. one, just buy one up. Yeah. Um, because you don't want that inner tube that's in your, in your saddlebag when you need it to fail straight away. Because, yeah. Sealant. Uh, uh, all, sealant is not all made equally. No, good sealant. Uh, you need to buy good sealant. Invest because of, it's yeah. Um, and don't fall for the marketing because some really expensive sealant or really well marketed sealant isn't any good. Um, we've been testing loads Got of different couple ones. A couple of examples of good sealants. Silca makes the best sealant. It's not the cheapest, expensive, but it's leaps and bounds. The the carbon one. Yeah, it's leaps right. and bounds ahead of anybody else. I've never uh, written anything better than that. If you want to save money, that worked well for us. Um, sealed quite well. Not as good as a Silca, but still worked better than most others is a Feta Mariposa. Stans has always made a good sealant. Um, I guess Stans have been in the game a long time, yeah. haven't they? They're old school mountain bike tubeless, I believe. Yeah, but uh, just remember as well that mountain bike sealant and road is a different game because of different tire pressures. Right, tires themselves. Invest. But do you need to? Not, you- not, not silly money, but uh, don't, don't be buying the cheapest, worstly made tire because if you buy... Uh, how you buy... You know, right? a, a, lot, a lot of this section is the same sort of thing. It's actually yeah. the, mi- the mid space is actually really good. But at it? the same time, your tire is going to affect how you bike rides more than the actual frame choice. Meaning don't be buying a stupidly expensive bike and then cheap tires on it because it's just pointless. You might as well just have bought the cheapest bike imaginable. When, you, when you're saying cheap, I'm assuming you can get tires for like five, ten quid a tire, which is just going to be uh, yeah, I wouldn't do that. sketch fest. Look, Whereas yeah. the, a typical tire these days is like 50, 60, 70 quid a tire. I remember we talked about it last week, the Michelin ones that you say that, that are no longer around. They're about 30 quid a tire yeah. and they are absolutely outstanding tires. Yeah. So it's kind of that, 
ultimately, for about 30 quid a tire, you can get a tire which is just perfect. But uh, I don't want to put a price on because it's that tire. Then I've seen other tires that cost 100 quid that are terrible. And I've seen tires that cost 15 quid that are good as well. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a bit of look into it. Don't just, yeah. Uh, but don't just be buying the cheapest tires because you might regret it. But also don't just buy the most expensive tires because you'll also regret it. So, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, there's no real good answer for this one. Time for another round of overrated or underrated. I kind of feel like we've just done a round of overrated or underrated, <laughs> so we're going to do some more. I'm going to read out a list of things, and you're going to tell me if you think they're overrated or underrated. So the first is suggested by Jared. Doing your own bike maintenance. Underrated. Under. Yes. Right. I think you should you, you should know more about your bike, because the more maintenance you do on it, the more you're going to know if something's wrong or if something's not wrong, but also... You'll enjoy your bike more because if something small is wrong, like your headset's loose, you don't want to be riding with it loose for two or three weeks until you get into a bike shop. You just want to be able to fix it on the spot and get away with it. It's kind of, if it, it will allow you to enjoy the bike more, learn a bit more about the bike. Even if you, if you never want to do your own maintenance, you're going to always take it to someone else to do it. At least learn about what it is just so that if you, if you go to a shop or somewhere, they're not taking your eyeballs out. Even from um, a safety aspect. Yeah, yeah. Just so you know that there's something wrong with it. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think it is underrated. I don't think that that means that everyone, like you don't have to do your own bike mechanics, but like you said, knowledge is definitely something like a, a good, useful thing. Like, like I, I guess the same thing applies to like cars, you know, mm-hmm. you need to know if your car, is there something wrong with your car to be able to go and get it fixed so that it's safe. Same applies to bikes, exactly like you said. I think that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, next is... Cycling press reviews. Most overrated thing in cycling. <laughs> uh, uh, show me one where they give them a bad, like, uh, yeah, it's just, you, you read them and they, they say, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, and it still gets four to five or Can seven. I, all right, so I've got a review in front of me um, on Road CC. Um, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to give you the, so it's for a long sleeve jersey that costs 190 pounds. I'm going to read through their pros and cons and you're going to give me what rating you would give that out of 10 just based on their summary of the pros and cons. Um, So the pros are luxurious stretchy material, soft cuffs and thick fleeced collar, zipper wind barrier, reasonably relaxed cut, zipper valuables pocket. And then the negatives are short front, price, average insulation and windproofing, muted colours. For a hundred and ninety pound long sleeve jersey. A long sleeve jersey that isn't very good thermally. The, the pros, the pros mm. are all just standard things. Fleece <laughs> line doesn't mean, I mean you can get a tankwear jersey that does that. Zipper is windproof, but then the jersey isn't windproof. Hundred and ninety quid, I'd give it four to ten. Actually, no, sorry, sorry, hundred and ninety quid. I forgot that. <laughs> Two out of ten. Do you want to wade in? Yeah, I think. You can get rid of a lot of the guff there and the main things that stand out are price and the fact, what was the thing? Not very thermal or something like that. Average insulation and windproofing. Average with a premium price tag equals... Premium, not premium, super premium. Yeah. That's jacket money, not well, jersey money. The, the, main, the main functional part of a long sleeve thermal jersey and it has average, I would say, what's an average? Five out of 10? And then you add a price, four out of 10? Four out of ten? No, two for me. 
seven out of ten. Because mm. it's not an average price jersey, so it can't even fall in the average category. Yeah. Because that's uh, that's exuberantly more expensive jersey. Yeah. Than if you were getting average performance for average yeah, price, yeah. If then, I paid average, yeah. average then five. Yeah. But that's the thing. But then show me a single review where it's five out of ten. What was the jersey? Sorry, I'm getting really worked up about. We'll this. lead yeah. off into that in a minute. Okay. So <laughs> I think I personally think the main issue that that cycling press reviews have is they almost discount the price, although in every single review would say it's too expensive. But then they don't factor that into the actual star rating. And I, I hope it isn't because they're thinking about keeping brands on side because they need to advertise to them. It's, it's just the whole, the whole structure is just absolutely rubbish. They then have a blurb about how, we, how they test products, which is just kind of like in general, and it basically says they'll just test it as long as they need to, to gather insights and they do their best to reflect to have a score that reflects function value. There is not a single chance that this review reflects that product. Um, but when you when you consider that they are factoring in value, I, I think I might be wrong in this. I should have probably studied this before. But Tour Magazine is a German cycling magazine, and they they do like best bike uh, in the world every year and things like that. But they they actually penalise brands if your brand says a medium frame set weighs. 987 grams. If that thing weighs 960 grams or nine a thousand grams, they penalise them because you've given the wrong information to the. So they actually cut the frames up and they get into depth about everything about it. And then essentially, it's a rating system. And at the end, that's a score. It's not a thing of. Yeah, it's far too generic, isn't it? It's like yeah. they're forgetting who their consumer is. Having worked in traditional press, not cycling, but traditional press there is a massive issue with consumer journalism. And that is that there is such a close relationship between the journalists and the brands, whether that's the brand specifically or via PR agencies. Because ultimately, places like Road CC, it's not just them, but places like Road CC rely on click-throughs to sell ad adverts. So therefore they need eyes on stuff. So the more reviews they can build up like, like this, the more eyes they're getting on stuff. So therefore they need products to review and therefore they need to keep a good relationship with brands and with PR agencies. And I think, unfortunately, it, whether you realize it or not, that can um, skew what you're saying. You know, if they give a four out of 10, are uh, whoever this brand is, are they going to give them stuff to review next time? You know, whereas you can give a seven out of 10, which seems fine if they just look at it on the surface, they've, they've given some negatives, but it almost seems like as a consumer, you have to read between the lines of what that review is actually saying, doesn't it? Yeah. So should we move on to the next one? Yeah, go on. Um, leading on from our previous one, Paranormal Studio Cycling Kit. Overrated. Is that what the jersey was? It was, yeah. Oh. Well, then it's, it's overrated. Um, once again, you guys will be able to say more about this, but yeah, it's just it's so expensive. You, you, you are. What I can tell you is, you are paying for the marketing. And yes, not because for it's, the it's, it's not. Yep. They don't make the kit. Is it? It's Moa or somebody would be making. Well, I have probably have several factories, but it's, and those factories make kit for other brands as well, which is fine. But it's just to be that it's it, not. What is? It's not even that that the issue. The the thing that we have always found really frustrating about the apparel space. Well, not frustrating because it allowed us to create a business that had a niche within it, which was the fabrics that we had access to and were using, excluding rain jackets, I'm not going to even venture into that space because that's a beast. 
The fabrics of our jerseys and shorts are the exact same fabrics at the same standard, at the same level, from the same manufacturers as all of the other man the people that are using. So the fabrics that Panamel are using in their products are going to be exactly the same as the Atticus products, at least when we were in control of it. Um, I don't know what it is going forward. And, and like, the, they're the same fabrics. They're constructed in very similar ways using the same or similar machines in different factories, but with the same level of skill. You're, you're paying £190 because you want to have something which says Panamal on it. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what you like, then by all means, go for it. I just don't. Um, my business partner, Rob, keeps buying the kit. Um, he buys a lot. He sends a lot back because of different sizes and things. And the thing is because there's not, yeah, um, they're not always the same size and things that he, but he likes it. He likes spending the money on it and that's fine. If you, if you like wearing it, by all means. I think the most interesting thing is they have claimed the space that Rafa used to hold. Rafa used to, it didn't have their core range. They were very, very premium at a time when no one else was. Mm -hmm. And they got a reputation, which I think they've tried very hard to get out of as being this like elitist thing. You know, the RCT club and all of that, it was, it was elitist. Mm -hmm. And they've tried really hard to get away from that. And it's like Pan Mal have gone, okay, well, we'll be that space as well. But it's like, it's Gucci, isn't it? It's any sort of designer. It's mm -hmm. just, I, I watched a really interesting YouTube video the other day that was talking about why designer stuff is no longer for the mega rich. It's ultimately, it's for the middle classes and it's about a display of wealth. And that is ultimately what it was. And there will always be people who want to have that display of wealth. If you have more money, you want to spend more money typically, or you will just spend more money. And I guess there's nothing wrong with that. But I guess the problem is when it filters down as being better, that's when the problem comes because it's not better. No, you reach yeah. a ceiling with any products you reach a ceiling but the problem is with tiering systems sometimes the top stuff makes the middle stuff look better value when it's still not great value uh, but i guess we are ultimately in a performance space yeah. so there's the illusion of higher value means better performance which is not the case in this example but uh, I, like i said i still completely get it uh, i'll use pock as an example um they do kind of technical shirts for mountain bike stuff. I like wearing them, but I like the ones with the bold white pock written on it because I like the look of it. So I wouldn't buy the ones without the, the the bold white print. And that's purely, it's not a thing of technically better or anything like that. It's, you also don't buy them. I buy some of it. <laughs> Andy does help me out from time to time, but yeah. Uh, next, we have cameras on bikes. Uh, underrated massively massively underrated so this is this is one of your you, so do you mean like a gopro on the front of your handlebars well yes or something's like the garmin varia on the back or the cyclic computers on the back and on the front uh it just for in terms of filming people close passing i don't know what it's like in other countries but in this country if a car passes you within 1.5 meters uh they're breaking the law so what so actually when you're talking about cameras and bikes you're specifically mean safety it's a safe not yeah. not like to make a vlog about oh no no something like, rather. it's all about a safety tool to be able to record other users so that you can report them if needs be yeah i mean obviously that sounds terrible the way you're saying it but at the same time well, i think well, the only well, way it's it gonna, doesn't sound yeah. terrible at all if someone's breaking the law then you have the right to but it's more it's it. more of a safety thing is i think if if you were to ride in a city a, a busy city and you've got let's say newcastle is not a big city but if we had a hundred people over here with the cameras and they're regularly reported drivers that are close passing or driving dangerously past them. 
Um, at some point, nobody's going to know which bikes have got them on and which don't. And I think it's just be a safer place because it's the same thing of where if you know there's a speed camera, people always slow down for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this scenario, you wouldn't know where these cameras are. Yeah, I'm, I'm you with can you. You can see cyclist and you just, people will be a bit more considerate because they'll realize you're close past them. It's going to hurt because you're going to have to pay a fine. I'm, I'm with you. Definitely underrated. Keep sending your suggestions to wildonespodcast at cademedia.co.uk and we might read yours out on the next show. So next we have Fluff Up of the Week. It's yours. This is mine. Yeah. Well, we do a Sunday ride and I told everybody I'm really excited. I had a route planned everything for the Sunday No Bad Trips backyard gravel ride. Completely forgot that I was supposed to pick up my wife and mother-in-law and daughter from the airport (laughs) on the trip that I missed because my passport wasn't renewed in time. This is terrible. Yeah. Um, And it was only the night before that I I realized that I'm not going to be able to make the ride. Oh, so you didn't didn't actually just leave them stranded at the airport? Oh, no, I fetched them, but then, yeah, it was... It was a close one. If somebody didn't remind, if my <laughs> father-in-law didn't remind me, I would have forgotten them at the airport. Well, so, that's terrible. I hope so, that you have made it up to your wife and child. Well, no, he, he picked them up. I he picked them up. She doesn't up. know. <laughs> he, you should learn to prioritize them better. <laughs> now more listeners take over. First up, a message from Ewan who says, following your section on winter bikes in the last episode, I have a maintenance suggestion you might not have come across. I got a plumber to install a hot water tap on the outside of my house as well as stopping your hands freezing at the end of the ride, when you're washing your bike, the hot water makes the mud, salt and grime come off much more easily. I then dry the bike using a commercial battery-powered leaf blower with a special narrow nozzle that lets me direct the air in amongst the cassette and chain. Seems like a good idea. Hot wash and blow dry and oil the chain is now more pleasant at the end of a winter ride. That does sound like a, a joy for the bike. I've just had a hot water tap fitted in the bike shop for washing bikes and it's unreal. It works. I mean, yes, it's nice and warm, but it's not even that. It just, the bike's so much easier to wash. Blow dryer, obviously, that's, that's genius. <laughs> Would it actually, I guess it, I guess it displaces the water. I, I, I like it. I like, I like it. it. I definitely like it. I'm, yeah, 100% thumbs up from me. <laughs> I, I would like a hot water, an outside hot water tap. I think that's, that yeah. is a definite good idea. Keep sending us your stories, questions, and fun stuff to wildonespodcast at cavemedia.co.uk. If you like this episode, please take a moment to leave us a five-star review or leave a like and comment if you're watching on YouTube. It doesn't take long. It helps us to boost the profile of this podcast and to continue to put it out for free. Catch you in the next time. Goodbye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.